Lucas Tigers and Bronze is brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. HGA is revolutionizing the industry by implementing software that will allow them to scan, analyze, and grade cards without subjectivity. This allows for consistent and unbiased grading. They have an easy submission process and best-in-class customer service. Their pricing model is simple. Pay by the day, not by the value of the card. And when they say 10 business days, they mean 10 business days. All right. Back by popular demand. So uh, the 10 for 10, it was popular. People enjoyed it. People uh, wanted us to bring it back. And uh, the big fella here, Mr. Cage, he's going on vacation. So uh, we're getting some fun episodes in on the docket. And we have a friend today. We have a friend here, uh, someone who's an aspiring young entrepreneur, had a successful exit already. Uh, and he's someone that you know I'm learning from as we're building this, this network. So I'm excited to have him on today to talk about Starstock, the future of the hobby, uh, and it's someone we've had on before. So if you guys want to go and hear, you know, Scott's history and, you know, his his kind of career in card, so to speak, you could go back and listen to those episodes. Today, I want to talk about the present. I want to talk about the business. I want to talk about all the awesome things you guys are doing uh, with content and breaks. Uh, so without further ado, Mr. Scott Greenberg, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. What's going on? Listen, I'm giving what? myself a pat on the back here. I made it the whole minute. I let him go a whole minute. I didn't interrupt him once. We didn't start this off on minute two and him saying, let me get my intro out. Let me get it out. So I, I, I was, there were like three or four times. He said present. I want to talk about the present. I was going to like say, you brought me a present, but I didn't. I didn't, yeah, I there didn't, was like, I didn't interrupt. There were there's like 35 minutes of the three of us interrupting each other that no one will hear before before we click the record button. <laughs> so so well, tell, listen, Cage, tell, tell people about the story about you and uh, Scott on a delayed well, listen, flight. If you ever get a chance, in the airport. If you ever get a chance to spend seven hours with somebody in the airport, I recommend Scott as a seven-hour airport delay, uh, you know, companion because you know he has a lot of uh, fun stuff at his fingertips. You know, hey, if uh, select basketball happens to be released that day, boom, you and the five card collectors around you are all going to be breaking a box right there in the airport as you wait. I mean, I didn't get such great stuff. I think the best card I got was like a tricolor Danilo Gallinari. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, you got to be in it to win it, right? So it's fun yep. stuff. It was a blast. Yeah, and, and you know, it was a fair trade. I think I, I, I got you a spot in a break, and you got me like a double quarter pounder with cheese. <laughs> or something. So I don't know. That sounds, was, that sounds fair to me. <laughs> it was the only place that was open. Scott did not want yeah. to eat McDonald's, but I kind of forced him to. This is the effect I have on people. Yeah. McDonald's for everybody. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was good fun. Before we get into Starstock, man, what was your what was your impression of National? You know, you guys were on the breaking stage a little bit. You guys had a presence with Starstock. I know here we are a few weeks after National, and I'm sure actually East Coast National will be the weekend probably when you guys are listening to this or, or just passed. But what was your impression of National? Man, it was a lot of fun. Like, uh, so it was my first one that I've been to. Um, and it was so much fun to just – be a part of it and be a fly on the wall and see everything that was going on. Um, it was a great opportunity for us to talk to a lot of our customers and to accept some submissions and do some card breaks. So it was great. Um, and it's just like, uh, it's exciting walking around and, and seeing, I think what there's 40 to 50,000 people there um, of 
all different ages, you know, people collecting vintage, modern, collectibles, tickets, all sorts of stuff. Um, so it was a blast. And and if you're anyone that's like in the hobby, um, it was really exciting to see. I'm sure that you guys felt the same way. Yeah, we had a lot of people answer the same way as you, which is like, hey, it was my first time there. It was my first time. It was Andrew's first time. You know, I mean, that in and of itself is a cool thing to hear from so many businesses, from so many content people, from so many collectors, because that should tell folks that we're in a really good place moving the hobby forward. There was so much money, so many businesses, so many different, um, you know, sides of, 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 of the hobby coming in and so many young kids. That was the cool thing. Yeah. Scott, I'm curious. So we, Cage and I walked around. I did a live stream uh, to kind of capture my experience. But, but you guys, you, you spent some time behind the booth, sometimes walking around. Yeah. What's what's the difference? Like, paint the picture because most of the people listening, they didn't they didn't attend national, or they were really mostly walking around. What was it it's like? An easy kind of booth? It was easy. When he was behind the booth, you know, that was when they got Chipotle delivered, and and so it was nice. So he had to he could just hang out there, and get the food delivery. When he's walking around, you know, there's no food options. No, I'm sorry. Chipotle yeah. really delivered to a show. That's that's I mean, tough. That's tough. I actually think. We did get Chipotle delivered, didn't we? You did. Yes, yes you did. Really, yeah. I tried to steal it. Um, I tried to steal yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was um, it was great. We brought a pretty big team, so we brought I think around ten people. Um, so it usually takes a few people to run our booth. Um, we accept submissions. I think we we came home with four five thousand cards that were submitted at national. So that was awesome. I'm really excited. A good mix of raw cards and graded cards, and even some wax as well. So that's always exciting. Um, and then we did some card breaks. We did a little bit at our booth, but we did a, uh, a few on stage as well. And so that was kind of like a new component for us that we've never done at a, at a live event before. Um, so there was definitely a few kinks we had to work, work out, but um, all in all, it was a success and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then we uh, had a few people that were designated to just like go around and uh, talk to people at different booths and meet with different partners like you guys and, um, you know, uh, you know, podcasting partners and other businesses in the space and customers of ours and consigners, all sorts of stuff like that. So it was a really busy week, um, but it was a lot of fun. And and we tried to play as big of a role as we could in the breaking studio or breaking pavilion rather, while, while still having enough people out on the ground to go and just like connect with our customers. It feels to me like a land grab for breaking right now. Is, is that fair to say? Because you, you know, Scott, I, I've aired this to you. Like, I don't break. I have a gambling kind of gene to me. So I, I'm very nervous with breaking unless they're Panini NFT packs, which for some reason they feel different, uh, although they're the exact same. But like, <laughs> is it like a land grab right now for breakers out there? Um, I wouldn't say that. Like, I, I think there are so many breakers out there. Um, and, you know, obviously there are a handful or a few dozen that, you know, have larger kind of businesses and clientele than others. I really, really do believe that there will always be a good amount of room in, in that space of the hobby for multiple players. Um, just because, and you guys know this better than anyone because you guys have built a really great community, but there's nothing like, you know, really like having that community feel or that connection with the specific breaker and just like having that go-to person that you like opening, opening your boxes or, or your, your packs for you. Um, and so I think, you know, I think there's obviously uh, a lot of players in the space, but I think there's room for, um, 
you know, at least dozens of them to be successful. Because if you, you know, if you can build, um, you know, a, a, a clientele list and really like build a community, even if it's around 10 to 20 people that love breaking through you, like you could build a business around that. Um, and so I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a land grab, but um, I do think there's room for, you know, a, you know, for some breakers to kind of test the waters on doing things a little bit differently. And so that's what we're going to try to do is, is see if we can kind of move the needle a little bit and test out some concepts that haven't been thrown out there before. Well, listen, the land grab is what you make of that land, right? I mean, it, you know, as long as there's enough land, and I think in, in what we're doing here, there's enough land for for even more breakers to come in 100%. I mean, you know, Andrew used the term land grab. I love it. You know, it makes me think like the Homestead Act, right? I mean, 10% of, 10 of the United States was given away at one point in time to like a million six homesteaders. You know, we're talking about west of the Mississippi. It's kind of like what's going on with the breaks. It really is. It's, I mean, there's enough room to do it. But, Scott, I think what you're saying is, it's not going to be enough to just break, right? I mean, some of those pieces, some of those pieces of land that people squatted on west of the Mississippi had rivers in them, you know, put up a, put up, you know, put up a better farm, right? There's better, there's more arid soil. I'm really taking this land grab thing really far, but you understand what I'm saying. You know, I mean, if you can, if you can throw some content in, you know, you guys in the breaking space and every place you have, you know, you have that advantage of, of, of no logistical nightmare. It's what we've been saying about Starstock since day one when we had you on. It's you know you take out that shipping, you take out that label printing, you take out that 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 the, the hey backsies, this is a problem. Anything you guys do with the cards, they're already in your vault, they're already at your location, and then you do a break, boom, it just gets moved over. When you do a sale on a card, boom, it gets it just gets moved over. And I think you know while there's enough room for breakers to break and plenty of breakers to break, I think you guys are 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 in a spot where you have that competitive advantage and probably have the ability to take advantage of that with, with future endeavors as well. Yeah, it's one of my favorite have, things about um, Starstock. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I think um, you know we we have to some extent already. Um, we've had a a number of cards that have come just fresh out of a break onto the market and sold same day. We've had a few of like more higher profile ones. We had the Anthony Edwards one of one that was pulled from a break, eighty five dollar spot in a group in a group break um, turned into a seventy thousand dollar sale. I think ten days later, we pulled a Conor McGregor card the other day, a one of one Conor McGregor. Um, I think less than a week later, we already have multiple offers in the you know five figure range. Um, I think Golden sold a gold. Conor McGregor Prism card for I think it was like mm -hmm. twenty seven right around there twenty to thirty thousand so right. we had we just we pulled the black one of one came back as a PSA nine um, and so we've gotten a bunch of offers for that already and so yeah I think we're uniquely positioned to kind of help people streamline that aspect where you can pull a card um, get it graded and sell it and, and you can do it without touching the card yourself if if you don't want to um, which which is pretty cool but I think like. You know, as as you said, Cage, there there's going to be multiple breakers for a long, long time, just because different you know different collectors and 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 people in the hobby look for different things out of their breaker. Um, and some people just want pure entertainment, and some people want a breaker that knows all the geeky sports stats of all the players that come out. And some people like a breaker that uh, specializes for a specific sport, whereas others you know are not looking for that as much. And so. I think there's, I think there's room for 
a good amount of people. And I also think that the market will do better with multiple breakers um, active. But uh, I think um, for us, you know, we're, we're just looking to put our own spin on it um, and looking to provide the, the best possible experiences as we can. I think even the national understands breaking is the future, right? Because it, the breaking pavilion, you know, who was in the breaking pavilion, all the breakers, the main stage, GTS had a lounge and PSA. So it's just let you know, yeah. right? We're talking about uh, the best, the best uh, plots of land where you want to be. I mean, you guys had a bird's eye view of that line at PSA. Pretty impressive to just see so many people just waiting Nuts. to give over their money, right? Nuts. I couldn't even get my own card submitted. <laughs> <laughs> I had two that I was going to drop off, and and I just like I looked at the line, and I was like, all right, that is, uh, I'll, I'm going to send it in when I get home. <laughs> and that's a two hundred two hundred bucks a card, right? Yeah, minimum. Yeah. Uh, well, Scott, you you guys have a ton of product. People complain about PSA quality control. That Edwards you guys pulled was a PSA eight. For, for, for one thing, you know, were you guys? I mean, I guess the owner probably wanted it graded. But, you know, was there an option? Just keep it right there in the Starstock vault and just transact it through there. And yeah. So typically when we pull a really, really big card like that, we'll reach out to the guy who pulled it almost immediately and just be like, all right, man, congrats. Like, what do you want to do? How can we help you? Um, and so the plan with the Edwards was to grade it. Uh, but while we were going to go through the process of grading it and, you know, after talking through with the customer, we decided that the fastest and, and, and and uh you know what made most sense was just to get it graded at national i think we pulled it a week before so that was our plan while you know while that was our plan we still took offers and we got an offer that we just couldn't turn down for it ungraded um and you know what we do on our end is we'll have our our, our scoring our grading team look at the card and, and tell us what we think it's going to get what we told um the the customer of the anthony edwards card is we said look it it's, it's not going to get a 10. We think it's going to get an eight or a nine, um, but we're not sure. I, you know, likely that it could get either. Um, and we got an offer for $70,000 and he, you know, that was, you know, right in line money. for, and it was a lot of money. And, and so he took it. Um, and so I it's really it. all up on, onto the customer. They can list it straight to the market. Um, they can get it graded for a lot of the much, much higher end cards. Um, we've been kind of brokering the deals offline as well. Um, and we've had good success doing that so far. I was going to ask you, you know, because there's some, the, the hobby's fascinating. I got to tell you, the hobby is such an interesting kind of case study. And I mean, there's been businesses that have gone from like zero to what feels like astronomical growth overnight. Right. And we also want those types of returns when it comes to cards, we want unrealistic returns everywhere we look. But Starstock is is the business that if I look at your guys' progress in eight months, you guys are, you know, the tur turtle versus the hare, you know, that whole thing. You guys are just constantly innovating and adding value and adding features to your customers. While everyone else is, oh, this business, this business, we're doing this. You guys are constantly adding features and value and slowly growing your platform. And I was, I'm glad you brought up the brokerage service for kind of mid to high end cards. Can you talk about that? Is is that another thing that Starstock can add to kind of make you guys like the one-stop shop for all things raw cards, graded cards, middle, mid to high-end cards, breaks. You could sell your cards that you get in the break right after that. It, it, talk to me a little bit about that because it's, it's it's impressive to watch. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we obviously have had great success in kind of the lower um, – 
in low to mid tier market. You know, so cards between a dollar and a hundred dollars, like I personally, I'm biased, but I think we're the best marketplace out there for those cards. Like we're super liquid. We have tons of them. Um, over time, we've been getting better at selling cards um, in the, you know, let's say hundred to 500, hundred to $750 range. Um, and we've really tried to improve that on our product. Um, we've tried to improve getting liquidity there and, and, and kind of setting up outreach programs and getting scrappy to, to find liquidity and, and bring cards to the site. And so an area that we really want to focus on is it's kind of like that low to middle tier market where, um, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars to a couple thousand dollar cards. And I think we have enormous uh, room to grow there and we're not doing a good enough job in that area right now. And so it's a big initiative for us to a increase liquidity within those cards and b drive more demand for our site in those cards. And so I think the you know best approach for us right now is is um, you know as you know Andrew like continuing to talk to our customers and figure out how we can improve our product for them. You know, is it repricing tools? Is it data? Is it pop reports? Figuring out what's what's wanted most, um, and then b like finding ways that we can, um, even if they're not super scalable, where we can kind of start helping our customers um, get that lift that they need. And so, um, you know, we're, we're building out a, a program where we're gonna kind of have like a concierge service where we're, we're helping people broker higher end um, card sales and, and even on the demand side, helping people that want to, you know, make an X dollar investment in these two or three players, but don't know exactly what to buy, helping them, you know, find the right stuff to, to acquire. Okay. So we, uh, we, Andrew and I argue all the time about like what teams and he makes fun of me about how I'm a Hornets fan and all that fun stuff. You know, I like Devontae Graham. He's not even on the Hornets anymore. Am I going to stay a Hornets fan? Am I going to, am I going to be, uh, Wait, let me cut you off. Kate. Why? why do you like Devontae Graham? Yeah, please. I, Oh, it is an interesting thing, right? So when I got back into buying basketball cards um, and trying to look for, like, rookies and look for guys who would be able to have some run and, you know, buy them for a buck or two bucks, and everybody was 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 buying Luca already for more money. I had bought my Lucas, and everybody was buying Trey. I'm like, all right, well, is there anybody out here who I can research who might turn into something if they got some playing time? Mm-hmm. I started looking at a couple of, of guys who were on – like teams that didn't really have offensive studs. I wasn't thrilled when mm-hmm. they signed, you know, Terry Rozier, but you know, yeah. this guy was a, he was a Kansas guy, four year play. It wasn't somebody I'm going to like buy to hang on to and retire on, but he was somebody who I thought if given an opportunity could step into a role, wouldn't be a project, you know, could have a, you know, a, a couple of, a couple big games and all of a sudden turn into, you know, a, a $1 card into a $5 card. And I went nuts buying his stuff. But m- more importantly, I, you know, as part of my research, you know, I, I, I watched what he was doing on Twitter. He was doing like a lot of like family stuff, a lot of like, you know, he's with his mom, you're saying nice things about his mom, you know, helping him get drafted. And that. So I always look for like somebody who has a shot and somebody who has decent character. Right. And he just, he fit the bill on, on that. And um, then we started watching games and all of a sudden, you know, he's getting a lot of minutes You know, he started, he went from G league, you know, to, to, you know, yeah. dropping 40 on the nets and you're like, Whoa, yeah. I mean, on the next, you know, I get, wow. but I had, I had a stockpile of his cards at, by that time. So, you know, let me tell you something, dropping 40 on the Knicks isn't that big of a deal, but <laughs> I, I, get, <laughs> I get what you're saying. You guys have the, you guys have the best defense. Yeah, we do have a good defense well, and our Knicks team last year was a little bit different. So, 
than the traditional Knicks. Well, is is anybody left? I mean, who's who's left on the Knicks? They still have Derrick Rose, right? And I mean, who, who's, we, who's we, left? We, I mean, we brought a lot of people back. Yeah, we got, I mean, you know, we re-signed Alec Burks. We re-signed Nerlens Noel. We I mean, these are two huge, two huge signings. Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks. I mean, they move the needle, man. I mean, this is some oh, good yeah. stuff. I know. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah so in my initial reaction to the to the signings were like you know it's never exciting when you sign those guys um it's never exciting when you pay a mediocre center 10 million dollars too but i do think like alec burks is a really good role player i think it's a super tradable con contract i think if nerlens noel stays healthy you might be able to trade the contract and i think if fournier's pretty good which he's a pretty good player i think you can trade that contract as well and well, you didn't just like one of Andrew's favorite players, Kemba Walker, isn't Kemba. it? Kemba, yeah. Kemba, cardiac Kemba. Dude, but Kemba in the in the garden is different. Kemba in the garden is a different beast. Maybe I was, the uh, best game winner of all time is Kemba. I was in the there. Garden. I was just gonna say I was there. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Rooting for who? Who were you rooting for that day? Syracuse. The game after. It was Big East tournament. Back in that's the day. It. Do you still have day. your ticket, or did it was George uh, Georgetown UConn right? It was, I don't think it was Georgetown. I thought it was Pitt, but I could be wrong. We're talking about the step back, right? Yep. Oh, man. I'm looking it up. Looking I'm up. looking it up. Well, I can't I remember the teams, man. I think Dude, what was, do you guys, what do you guys think, uh, UConn Pitt, UConn Pitt. What do you guys um, think of? Never doubt Scotty Greenberg. Of NIL. Do you think that's going to have, so, I mean, it's interesting how it's going to have an effect on raw cards because everyone's going to be signing. But, like, I'm curious. Do you have any take on college athletes, NIL, and what impact it's going to have on trading cards and the kind of the marketability of college players? I mean, I think it's going to change everything over time, right? Like, in a few years, like, I think we're just going to be looking at a whole different world. Um, like, you'd think rookie cards would, would come out in high school or college then. Um, you could even be high school rookie cards. So um, I think it's really going to change the game a lot. Uh, I think we'll see kind of what happens over these next few years, um, probably sooner than that, right? Over these next maybe six to 12 to 18 months. Um, but I think like, you know, in 2025, the 10 best players in high school are going to have their rookie cards already out. It's, it's, it seems like we're heading in that direction. Um, what do you guys think? I think it's going to be interesting when, like, a high school player, uh, like a Zion, for example, right? Before he signs with any team or anything like that, like, he could he could start making money, right? He could use his fame and his image to release a card. Now, who licenses that card, right? Who makes that card? Is that Panini? Like, what becomes the go-to card? Or does he say, screw that? Why would I go to Panini or Tops and I release my own NFT? right and cut out the manufacturer of the card yeah. maker cage. Artists. cage always makes weird faces when i say well, things no but not what you're saying i mean I, i'll take it even one step further i think there's gonna be a point in time where somebody a major play whether it's zion like you know somebody's gonna come out um who is like head and shoulders the best player that's out there i, mean, I think of like johnny manzel what kind of money he would have made right um someone is going to come out who's that number one prospect whether it's in football basketball whatever it may be and when they actually sign with the team as a number one draft pick they're going to take a pay cut and that's going to be wild 
that's going to be insane because they're going to be making more on their deals, their endorsements while they're in college than what their salary is from the actual team. And that's, that's just a crazy thing, right? Because, you know, I can tell you there are programs in the NFL that try to teach people about what to do with their money, right? This way they don't burn through it. We've all seen 30 for 30. We've all seen, you know, different, different, you know, shows about how, you know, people get their money and they blow through it and they're bankrupt after the fact, people who are making millions upon millions of dollars. Well, now think about that when you got kids doing it, you got teenagers making this kind of money um, with no real you know, support network, no real anything, right? And uh, I mean, these are kids who are like, in college dorms, you know, I mean, making, you know, making this kind of crazy money. So it's just, it brings its own set of, of interesting locker room stuff that's going to come into play yeah. because, you know, I mean, are we really going to be hazing the rookie who rolls up in a Bentley making more money than half the guys on the team? I don't know. I mean, I have no yeah. idea, you know, so it's, it's definitely... Um, it's definitely an interesting thing, and and you're right, Scott. I mean, I, I'm interested to see how how it plays out over the next year, or next year or two. And, you know, for a lot of these guys, their prime marketability is actually when they're in high school or college, and it's sad to see you know them kind of miss out on that. And you know, Zion and 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 uh, Lamelo, all signs are pointing in the direction that they're going to have great NBA careers. But like hypothetically, you know. And I'm a huge Lonzo fan, by the way. I love Lonzo. But he's not a top 10 player in the NBA. He's not going to be. I think most people would agree. Um, if LaMelo kind of flattens out a little bit and looks like he's a, so like, you know, a solid NBA player but is not like a super superstar, like his peak marketability was when he was in high school. Like um, he was a unicorn. You know, there, there weren't other high school people like that. Um, and so – it's 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 going to be cool to see some of these guys that are able to just sign ridiculous deserving ridiculous deals you know with companies like Gatorade or Panini or you know Nike when they're like 15 16 years old yeah even if they don't pan out yeah. I, mean, I use Johnny Manziel for exactly that reason right he's he, a perfect example because he you know he would have been worth millions and millions of dollars to um, the right sponsors back in the day and that was his peak. Yep. Like, yeah. I wonder what those guys are thinking right now, right? And I, I, I saw like a tweet from Reggie Bush and like a few other people, but like you, you got to think some of these college stars and high school stars of the past are just, are just, uh, I wonder if they're bummed about it or if they're excited for like the next Johnny Menzel. I mean, Think about it. There are Heisman Trophy winners. There are people out there who made no money, didn't make it into, you know, didn't make it into the pros, didn't really make that, you know, make a living out of it. They'd all be making a killing now. But that's kind of the way it works, right? I mean, there are you, you go back into baseball, right? Professional baseball. I mean, these guys, you know, who are all stars, all famers, you know, they were in the off season. They they had you know car dealerships. They were working, you know, working real jobs, you know. I mean, so things change. And I guess it's a good thing. I mean, there's enough money out there for these guys. Every The schools have been making money on these guys like crazy. And think how many millions of dollars they make when the team makes a bowl game and, and the star player doesn't get anything for it. Um, I mean, they got to go out and steal crab legs. Come on. It's kind of silly, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, good. So, <laughs> so what else we got? What else we got for Scott? Because, you know, I, I, I love talking to a first-timer at the National, too, right? So, so let me ask, did anything surprise you while you were there? You know, I mean, I was surprised by, like, the, you know, the, the, the amount of young kids walking around and that kind of stuff. Anything surprise you about the National because it was your first time? 
Um, no, I thought it was, uh, uh, I'd say actually one thing that I thought was kind of surprising was just the similarity of a lot of the booths. There were a lot of booths that I thought looked that had like very, very similar cards. Even if you were like going to go to a vintage booth or a modern booth, often you were looking at a lot of the same stuff. Um, I was bummed that I couldn't find more golf. I was looking around everywhere. I found like maybe two or three booths that had some golf. So I wasn't able to make a golf, a big golf pickup, which I wanted to. Um, but I, you know, I was just like, just overall, just not surprised because I kind of expected it, but it was just a crazy, crazy kind of like breathtaking experience. If when you're one of the people that were set up inside, um, you know, the Donald Stevens Center prior to the show starting, in the moment that they kind of open up the doors and you see people just funneling in thousands and thousands of people one after another, like that was pretty incredible. Um, and it was tough, to, tough not to be at least a little bit surprised by it. Can I ask you a golf question? Yeah. What's, what's Tiger Woods's legacy in the hobby? I mean, his legacy in the world is that he's the greatest. Yeah. Of, of any athlete, in my opinion. Um, Does he need yeah. to still accomplish more for that to kind of sink in? No. Uh, because people, you know, I was watching, I think it was The Last Dance or something like that. And they said only two guys had this aura. And it was Jordan and Tiger Woods. Yeah. But but Jordan's still very much in culture. Where in golf, I, I mean, Tiger had his thing, so he kind of fell off and maybe lost some fans. I'm curious, do we forget that and he becomes like the pinnacle of, of golf? Or is it still Jack Nicholas? Oh, it's Tiger. Like, I mean, most people would say Tiger at his peak was like better than Jack was at his peak. The thing with Tiger that's crazy. And what I love about him is that like some of his statistics he is he was so much better than the second best player than anybody else at at their sport like he was better than the number two guy um which you know ernie phil whoever you, you want to say than michael was to the number two guy then magic bird isaiah i don't know whoever um so i think he's the the, the most dominant um out there but the thing that a lot of people don't realize is like he enormously underachieved like enormously and if you look at where he was you know, mid 2000s, 2003, 2004, 2005, like it looked like he was going to just absolutely demolish all the records. Like Jack's major record looked like he was going to absolutely crush it. 18 majors, um, you know, 82 wins, which he now has, he's tied, like looked like he was going to crush that. And he had four or five surgeries on his back and his knee. And then he had the whole, you know, situation that everybody knows about. So like he enormously underachieved but he's still the best. Which, so does that think, hurt his legacy though, that he underachieved? No, I don't think so. It's just so hard to have a perfect career. I think it just shows. And like what MJ was able to do in those like six years in a row where he won the three and then took a break and won the three again. Like it's, that was so crazy. And you look at LeBron's career, right? It's been like near perfect, but even him, he's played what? He's going on to year 20 or is he going on to year 19? And he's he's won four times, which is a lot. But like you know, he had the heartbreak loss. Um, in my four my out of seven, and, four out of seven is near perfect. It's close to right around a sixty-six percent. So uh, yeah. that's how I passed school. Apparently, um, what's the go-to Tiger Woods card to buy? To um, own, I guess. 
I mean, a lot of people like that upper deck 2001 uh, that I'd buy that if you're look if, if you're looking at kind of a lower price range. His not true the base, not, the true, like the grail of Tiger Woods. I'm the true rook, the true rookie is his 96 Sports Illustrated. Um, and that's a grail if you find the 10. I don't even know what it's going for now, but I have a nine. Um, and Which one is this? The perforated. The, the SI Sports, Sports Illustrated. Yeah. yeah. And then like if you can get one of the 2001 which is like his first real set with like a real comp- like upper deck. Like if you can get any of those autos or RPAs, those are pretty ridiculous. Um, and then another cool one is the 1997 Masters card, which um, I actually have like 10 or 20 unopened boxes for. But apparently um, the cards are just so poorly printed that like the gem rate's just terrible. And so if you the, can find that in a nine or a ten, that's, that's the jumbo right. black one, right? Yeah. There's a gold version. I have BGS. I have an eight and eight and a half. Yeah. So I actually found a really cool. Out. I found a really cool uncut sheet for that. So we're wow. gonna put it here in the office. Yeah. So here, you know, I'm not a golf guy. I can't golf. Um, and when I go to the driving range, and there's somebody who weighs as much as my leg, and they're just boom, 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 repetitive, boom, 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 and I'm trying to crush the ball and I hit it backwards. It's just not. It's not good for my mental state. Because I just want to, I want to Bo Jackson the club across my thigh. Oh, speed. It's no good, man. I I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. I just want to kill the ball, and the ball winds up killing me. So it's just keep not, your eye on the ball cage and swing yeah. around your body. Be the ball, be yeah. the ball. Hello, you ball cage. You might need to stretch more. Uh, I might need to stretch. Period. Period. So, but here, here's my <laughs> here's my my take on Tiger. It remains to be seen what his legacy is going to be. You know, the last time Arnold Palmer won um won a major. Nineteen sixty one. No, seventy three, right? He, uh, you know, he's won a tour event in seventy three, not a major, right? So nineteen seventy three, last time on a palm. But you know what he did after? A million brands, a million golf courses at yep. the Palmer yep. Invitational. His yep. wife has a like a, a hospital named after her in, in Florida, and most people know more about him from the name of that yep. drink. You know, they go, oh, let's have an let's have an Arnold Palmer, right? So, so Woods' legacy, it's kind of linked to Palmer, right? It's it's one of these like, what's he gonna do? Yeah. after the majors are something that he no longer has to add to his repertoire. Right? Well, I think that's play- a good point. Like even take take the businesses aside, right? Like yep. businesses aside, obviously MJ has the Jordan brand, which like is crazy. But one thing with Tiger that like I was just kind of thinking about when you brought that up, Andrew, is like he's not associated with <laughs> – other than like you know maybe things he doesn't want to be associated yeah. with outside Ambient, of ambient drunk driving and car crashes exactly yeah like he's not associated with anything whereas like <laughs> even if you took MJ's businesses away people associate MJ with golf they associate him with gambling they associate him with like other things cigar smoke uh, yeah like cigar exactly <laughs> um, no one knows anything about Tiger Woods off the golf course besides like you know that he's kind of up to some sketchy stuff every once in a while. <laughs> um, no, but Scott, that's I think that's his be, hobby. That's his cigar. I think you might be right because he's the guy who brought it to the mainstream. He's like the Griffey, you know, for my, you know, they, they brought it to TV. Palmer did it and then no one did it. He's the one who, you know, anyone who's golfing now, making the money they're making now with the television exposure that they're getting, it's because of what Tiger did. Because Tiger bringing the brand name to golf, it made it a watchable event. And you could still see it now. Anytime in the last two years where he's been – in contention, wearing that red shirt on Sunday in an event, the viewership is threefold what it would be for anybody else. It doesn't yeah. matter that he's not the most talented one out there right now. It doesn't matter that he's a shadow of himself, you know, health-wise. Here's why I think Tiger might actually be a play for folks. Um, he's going to stick around and be relevant because 
his son might wind up playing. Sort of like a Bronny LeBron James, right? I mean, remember he played in a, a tournament with uh, what was it, Charlie? I think is his name, right? You know, yeah. I mean, so wa- watch that. Watch that become a you know something, and then you get to see yeah. him as a dad, and it softens his you know it softens his, his legacy, sure. you know, his image a little yeah. bit, and then all of a sudden it's like he was one of the greatest ever. He's an underachiever, but look what he's doing now, and you know he's, he's humanized. He's got, he's got records that like like actually stand zero chance of being touched, just because the game's too competitive now. There's too many good players. Like he made. He he went seven years in a row without missing a cut. I think, I think I think it was 140 or 142 consecutive cuts made, which is just like outrageous. I mean, your best players, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, like Spieth, all these guys, like they get cut all the time. You're playing. It's not you know. It's not like a basketball game where you're playing against one team. You're going up against another hundred people every weekend. So. It's easy to miss cuts. Like Tiger went like seven years without missing a cut. Just right. like, he, he was like the Globetrotters against the Generals for a while there. You know, yeah. just didn't, he didn't miss. But you're right because not every course is the same, right? And, and you know, some guys are links players. Some guys are not. Some guys play, you know, play distance courses. Um, and some guys not. And it didn't matter what course he was playing. He made the cut, which you're right. doesn't happen now. Yeah. That's I, actually I, true. I, Everyone played different courses, but Tiger had the mindset, huh? Yeah. Like, are you camp – uh, Brooks uh, Kepka or you camp Bryson DeChambeau? <laughs> That's a good question. I I, I I like them both. I think if you put a gun, to, it's, all right. Sorry, if you put a gun <laughs> to my head, if you put a gun to my head, I'm taking Brooks. Like Bryson does some stuff that annoys me every once in a while, and it's tough to not respect Brooks because he's just like consistent with who he is. He's himself, and he just he wins. Like he and he's just a baller like that. So. I think I'd go with uh, Team Brooks. I did hear something pretty cool, though. I had a picture sent to me yesterday. Um, Bryson was right down the road from our office. He was at Wingfoot yesterday playing. So that was pretty cool. Pretty cool to hear here in town. It, the, the, the golf community, the guys that use the big putters, like the two-handed ones, like kind yeah. of, are they made fun of? Or are they like the nerds yeah. of, the, of golf? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. The easy one, yes. Are they yeah, it's like it's like uh, <laughs> like you're talking about the belly putter, like yeah, uh, yeah no yeah, question. Yeah. But like at the end of the day, if it's going to help you sink putts for sure. Now, if you're an amateur and you're using one of those things, like you are going to get roasted. Like you, unless if you're you know shooting under par and you 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 whip out like a belly putter to go play around a golf with your friends, like you'll get absolutely annihilated. So don't bring that to mini golf. Don't bring a belly putter to mini golf. Trust me. That's the only way I know how to putt. Yeah, you belly. Yeah. You belly I'm a be- look at me. I'm a belly putter. It's just the way it is. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. All right. I got nothing I can do about it. That's a great place to wrap. Thank you. Thank you for coming on 10 for 10. People love this series. Wish you all the success with Starstock. Thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow. This episode of Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze was brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. Take it from someone who has personally submitted thousands of cards for grading. HGA slabs just hit different. They're top of the line and color coordinated to match the card itself. The aesthetics are unrivaled in the industry. When paired with the ease of submission and the transparency of the pricing model, HGA stands alone as the best choice for grading your cards. I believe that once you try them out, you will agree. Thanks for listening, Luca Nation. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe, 
Ah, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.